A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Holy Human with Leanne Rimes is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome, everyone, to a very special episode of Holy Human. I am joined by global expert Bethany Webster to discuss the mother wound, something she believes we've all inherited to varying degrees. And I'm just warning you now, this is a very triggering episode. It was triggering for me to record. Very, very, very emotional. So put on your seatbelts because it's quite a ride. And I I do think a lot of you listening will have some aha moments, maybe for the first time. We connect for a powerful and personal exploration of why this is a core wound and how healing it helps us grow and emerge as our full selves. On today's Holy Human. Bethany Webster, welcome to the Holy Human Podcast. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've had so many mixed emotions before this conversation. I've literally been so excited. I feel like we could do three parts on this. Right. There's so much to talk about. And all of a sudden before, like an hour before, I started to get really somber about everything because... I'm kind of in the thick of what we're talking about right now. I mean, I've been in it my whole life, but in the thick of kind of setting boundaries and all that good stuff, which we'll get yeah. into. But it's, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of grief that's coming up for me in this moment. So I, I do, um, I'm going to warn everyone, there will be tears. I'm almost positive. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate you being so like transparent and vulnerable because that is such a rich place to be when we're mm. like really in touch with with what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. So I appreciate you opening with that. Absolutely. And by the way, feel free to ask me anything. I'm totally, I am an open book pretty much. So you can awesome. feel free to, yeah. 
I'm curious. How did you hear about my work? If I'm correct, I think I just found you over Instagram, like somehow, like, you know, that's when the the algorithm actually does (laughs) does me does me good um, is when I find people like you. And I've heard about the mother wound and the work around it. And Mm -hmm. I know I've been inadvertently kind of doing my own work around it for a long time, a lot of inner child work. And recently it's gone from a concept, this kind of conceptualization of something to starting to be an embodiment of Mm. truly understanding these concepts. And it's taken years. It's taken years and years. I'm so happy that your book is available and there's information about this work for people to get their hands on. And by the way, I've sent your book to like every friend of mine, every woman that I know. And I think it's just so healing. So I would love to hear from you how you came to this work. Yeah, absolutely. I came to this work kind of circuitously. It was never anything I set out to do, really. I I thought I actually had a perfect family. And it wasn't until college where I started to have a lot of like symptoms that were telling a different story. And mm-hmm. I was really lucky at 19 to find a really brilliant therapist who worked with me. I'm still working with her. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Her therapy, it's it's called depth psychotherapy. So it's not like kind of run-of-the-mill cognitive behavioral or anything. It's it's actually about long-term reworking your attachment bond, basically. But I avoided looking at my mother and that relationship for years because honestly, and I think I suffer from something that so many of us do in this culture, which is this like instant guilt, right? For anything mm-hmm. that feels other than admiration for our mothers. Mm-hmm. You know, I was kind of her caretaker, emotional support, from almost from birth, I felt really responsible for her and I wanted to, she struggled and I wanted to make her happy. I wanted to please her. So in the family, I just kind of play this role of like absorbing everyone's pain and trying to make everything okay for everyone. My dad, my brother, you know, I was just like this little sponge of like, I'll just make everything better. And that's kind of how I'm going to survive, you know? And then, yes. um, But then it all kind of fell apart and I started getting support, but I think it was like five years into being in therapy before I actually said, okay, I think I'm finally ready to look at this because Mm -hmm. I noticed that every area I looked at, whether it was like romantic relationships, which was repeating the same pattern, Mm -hmm. basically what I had with my mother, I would show up in relationships as compulsively trying to be the healer, the mentor, the, you know, and I'd, so I'd attract these Uh, potential partners (laughs) in crisis or, you know, starving artist types or whatever. And then, um, then body image. So every area had a piece of my mother in it. And I started to Mm -hmm. see it and be like, oh my God, you know, I actually do have to look at this because I could see that I was on a hamster wheel of the same patterns. So yes, I, I feel if someone could see me right now. I'm just, I keep shaking my head. Yes, <laughs> yes. I know every, your book, I was like, oh my God, I completely relate to everything that you're saying. And, oh. you know, oh, so much about the emotional caretaking and then how, I, for me, what I, what's been the most jarring as of recent is I thought I projected my daddy issues onto my husband and I just recognized that it's not my daddy issues. It's my mommy issues. Ooh, <laughs> that's a powerful <laughs> moment. <laughs> It's intense. And there's so much grief. Like you see all the ways in which you've used manipulation to get your needs met. And then you're like, holy shit, it's just an intense moment. And it's a beautiful moment, too, because you have Mm. the opportunity to choose differently and to be able to have these conversations. And I've just started having these with my husband. It's like, 
these are some deep conversations and we Ooh, almost have yeah. to stop for a moment, take a break. And I'm like, we'll come back to this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll I come love back that. to this. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's wonderful to have someone that is open to sitting down and, and talking to me and, and watching because he's he's been witness to this relationship that I've had with my mom for a long time. And yeah. he has seen how traumatic it has been for me. And it's not a new revelation that I'm coming to. It's just that now I'm I'm understanding it at a deeper level. So, and as we're talking about this, I guess we should define the mother wound and what that is for people so they can kind of get a better understanding of what we're really digging into. Sure. Yeah. So I define, you know, the word mother wound has been around. No one's really defined it. So I think I've been the first one to really like set a firm definition of what is the mother wound. And I actually see it like the, the biggest one is the, the personal level, right? There's the internalized beliefs and patterns that are self-limiting, Mm -hmm. right? That we inherit from our mothers, right? So it's the unconscious ways that we limit ourselves, the way that we feel bad about ourselves. We feel guilt, we feel shame um, that originate with her. And originate uh, past that. It's generationally passed down. Totally. It's like this inherited wound that we all have to some degree. It's on a spectrum, right? For some people, our mothers are really more resilient and more healthy and high functioning. And some mothers are, you know, on the other side of the spectrum where there's even mental illness or addiction or other challenges. So We all fall somewhere on this spectrum. And outside of the spectrum, which has a big impact, is the culture, which is this cultural atmosphere of patriarchy. I define patriarchy very broadly. It really isn't about men. It's actually the principle of power over and the ways that this manifests. And for many of us, it's like we just feel that we live in kind of an anti-woman world where women right. are less than. So we get this message reinforced in millions of ways. And our mothers and grandmothers had to absorb that also, in addition to their own family trauma, whatever they received. So what I like to say is the most insidious forms of patriarchal oppression actually get passed through the mother. And mm-hmm. this is not to blame mothers at all. Right. Actually, yeah, it's yeah. to uplift them and respect them. But we have to see the ways that we don't want to look at this. Mm-hmm. And it's very unconscious, right? It's about our blueprint of self. So our mothers are extremely influential in how we shape our identity, how we see our bodies, ourselves, the world, partners, other people. So it's like our identity is shaped with our mothers in the early days of our lives. And so becoming conscious of that, looking at what were the dynamics there is incredibly empowering in our healing, liberation, as women as a whole, especially for women, because like how to be a woman was really taught to us by our mothers, you know, Mm -hmm. the do's and the don'ts and what's okay and what's not okay. It's such a significant impact our mothers have. And so unfortunately we live in a society though, that says if you don't have anything other than complete love and admiration, there's something wrong with you. So as women, we're shamed, (laughs) we're shamed away from looking at our healing. So this is the conundrum that we face. To be honest, like I thought about having this conversation with you and I'm like, oh God, I hope my mother doesn't listen to this in a way because, and and also, you know, it's been interesting growing up um, as this kind of, yeah, you know, I started out at 13 in front of everyone's eyes. And especially when your parents have played such an integrate role in my career at one point, it's like this respect and love, like you're saying, you're supposed to have for your family and this all American good girl, like, I just had it going for me. <laughs> like, you did. I did. <laughs> and so it was, you know, it, it's this interesting piece for me to even bring this up over my podcast because I think people have this idea of, 
you know, like you said, unless you have complete love and admiration for what my therapist calls the love object, which is, you know, yes. which is the mother. Um, and mm. there's there should be so much shame around me wanting to to bring this to the forefront. And yeah, that shame keeps us locked into so many things. And can we just talk about that shame piece for Let's a moment? Let's go there. I would love to go there. <laughs> yes, because I feel like for I know personally, like that shame has kept me so small for so long. And, yeah. you know, it keeps us from having this discussion. And I think that honestly, I feel like this work is probably the most important work that we're called to do in this lifetime because it really will shift everything, not just it'll just shift us personally, it will shift the culture, it will shift, you know, the way we treat our planet. There's such a huge ripple effect from this work. So massive. Yeah. How how can we when we talk about shame, how does shame start to fit into this work outside of what we've just discussed? Like, how is it so insidious? Yeah, I'm so excited that you went right to shame because it really is at the bottom (laughs) of like, you know, I've been thinking about it lately a lot, even in my own process now. Shame is really the bottom. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's really at the core of so many of the ways that we organize our lives to feel worthy and loved. Like whatever, I call it the mother gap. So whatever we didn't get from our mothers, you know, there's always a gap. Our mothers are human beings, right? The gap between what we needed and what we got. Mm-hmm. And so often we can project that like gap outwards to our partners, bosses, you know, you name it. Mm-hmm. Love me, make me feel valued. And on some level, we're running from this um, shame at the bottom of everything, right? And I like to think about shame in a context of developmental growth, right? Like for a child, if there's some kind of disconnect in the attachment with the mother, the child's going to blame itself to preserve the connection with the parent because it's too much for a child's brain to process that my mom is not safe right now. Right. So it it gives it a sense of power and control um, and a sense of safety to blame itself rather than see the mom. So it's basically, we create an illusion. It's a very useful illusion in a way because it helps us survive, right? Right. But unfortunately, it, it creates this illusion that I'm bad. Something's wrong with me. And there's a despair in that, you know, especially for those of us who experienced overt shaming, like many of us had mothers and fathers who were really shaming, like, you're bad, there's something wrong with you, get away from me, Hmm. those kind of messages. And sometimes it's just a subtle atmosphere of like, it's not safe to speak my mind, it's not okay to have needs, Um, I should suppress my truth, otherwise I'm going to get in trouble. So like you mentioned manipulation earlier, that's also a great survival mechanism, especially for those of us who are women, you know, female children who... It wasn't safe to say no, for example. Right, right. Um, so shame is, it's like a useful survival tool that helps us survive these really painful emotions as really young children, but it persists in the background. Mm-hmm. And if we don't address it, it can, even into our adult lives, it can be impacting how we show up. Absolutely. You said something in the book that really blew my mind. You said we hold on to shame in order to hold on to our mother because feeling shame makes us feel mothered. And I literally, (laughs) I was listening to the audio (laughs) book and I had to stop the book. I was like, oh my God, Mm. that explains shame. And the reason that we continue to hold on to it, especially for me having a relationship with my mom where I really don't have a close relationship. So it's... Yeah. How has that evolved for you? 
Um, hasn't. I'm sure you've done a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you've really like been super conscious and aware and tried to do your best, which I admire. I have, yeah, I have tried to do my best. Um, you know, there is a lot of emotional caretaking and, you know, unfortunately there's a, there's a need for me to fill a hole that is just insatiable. And it's kind of, I think, I'm sure you can relate to this as the emotional caretaker in in your family. That was always kind of who I was in the family, like the- Like your identity. The role I served, yes, exactly, was Mm -hmm. that, you know, I was born to fill a hole. (laughs) Talk about pressure. (laughs) Right. And it's still there. And that's still kind of the relationship that we've, that's what it's been based upon. And I've recognized recently that that is, that's what it's been based upon. And I can't have that kind of relationship. And it's up to my mother to take care of her needs in order to be able to have a relationship that's built upon anything other than that. And that's a really, I just had this conversation and it was the, it was so hard. Cause I think I see when I look at my mom, I see a child and, and yeah. I know I see that. I know the child because I've had that in myself. Mm-hmm. I've experienced that. And I've been having to grow her up. <laughs> I've been having to grow my own child up to meet and be with the, you know, adult Leanne. And yeah. I've I'm still growing her up and so in a lot of ways. And so I can't grow my mother up at the same time. And that is the God, that is the most heartbreaking conversation. After I had it, I cried for a day because <laughs> I just I saw this helplessness. Yeah. And it's so hard to hurt someone especially when they're your mother (laughs) and to have boundaries in that way. And so, yes, so that's where I'm at. And it's been an up and down roller coaster ride of grief. Oh, yes. Which I would love to touch upon. Yes. All right, loves, before we dive any deeper into this complicated and personal dynamic, we are going to take a quick break. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. 
with the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, my friends. I'm talking to Bethany Webster about the complexities of our maternal relationships. Can we talk about how grief is such a integral part of healing the mother wound? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. I just want to say that I really commend your courage because, I mean, I've been where I've been on that path and I've seen so many women as well. I help them through that process of, you know, it sounds like what you went through is, and this is so about grief. Mm-hmm. is when we see the limitations of our mother's capacity, right? So in our culture, we're taught, oh, you know, if you love someone, it should work. Or, like, right. you know, there's like no acknowledgement of the work it takes to have healthy, authentic relationships. Yes. And such a painful moment for an adult daughter is to realize that our mothers have a limited capacity of how they can meet us. And that ceiling is determined by the work that she's done in her own life to be conscious, you know, to Mm -hmm. take care of herself. So whatever ways our moms feel deprived, owed, harmed, Mm -hmm. and haven't worked on it themselves, they usually show up in some way with the daughter as kind of with a check, like, you know, this is what I need. And they don't even realize they're doing it most of the time. Um, As humans, we just kind of project what we don't Mm want to own or we're not ready to own. We project outwards. And so it can be such a powerful moment to to have, and and it takes resilience to be in this position, right? It It took me so many years to do like exactly what you described. I mean, it probably took me 10 years to be ready to actually have the conversation in a loving, respectful way, but, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like this isn't working and and I'd like it to shift the dynamic. And what happened with my mom was she was so non-resilient that she actually attacked me and kind of created this conspiracy theory. It's so weird, wild, but she had a conspiracy theory that my therapist was brainwashing me 
Mm-hmm. against her. So it was like, wow. I had that, I had that at one point also okay, a long okay. time ago. <laughs> yeah. It's more common. I'm realizing than I, than I yes. realized at the time, but, um, anyway, yeah. So the grief of realizing this is my best, this is my mother's best. She's yes. literally showing me her best right now and it's not going to get better. And, um, I need to kind of sit with that. And, that is painful because a lot of us carry this little inner child who's like, well, if I just do this or that, or if I explain myself better, or if I help her, if I give her books or, you know, yeah, my mom's yes. going to get it <laughs> <Done> eventually, <laughs> right? The impossible dream, right? If I just yes. do X, Y, Z, she will change finally. And then we'll have this great relationship. Um, so yeah, the grief is really where the change happens. I think if we can sit with these feelings of sadness, even disappointment and rage. And I mean, there's a whole slew of things that can come up. And so getting support is really huge. But the the good news is the grief leads to freedom because what's happening in the grieving process is we're, in a way, our brains are reorganizing, right? So we're letting go of the old and we're making space for something new to happen. And it's a whole, I see grief as a really holy process that has its own timeline. We can't predict it or control it or make it end on a certain date as much as we might want to. But yeah, just being with it and has cycles and layers, it will deliver us to a new way of being, right? Mm -hmm. Where we're not, we're no longer controlled by that dream of, I need to be a good girl for mommy to be good with myself. And, And what I see that happens in that process actually is this huge shift. It's like a tectonic shift in our self concept where our sense of self validation and self worth is no longer based on the outside. It starts yes. to be based on the inside. So I was actually just talking to someone this morning about this. She was like, I just realized my mother isn't going to change and I'm going to start affirming myself first now. I'm not mm-hmm. going to wait for her to affirm me. And I was like, bam, there it is in, like in action, right? When we can accept our mother's limitations, we can then embrace our own possibilities because they're no longer linked Yes, absolutely. in the same way. I just Does that make sense? <laughs> oh yeah, completely. I just had an experience and I wrote about it on my blog. We were going to Father's Day dinner and I knew I had to get ready, but though I really wanted to swim and I jumped mm. in the pool and allowed myself to swim. And if growing up, my mom woke me up an hour and a half early to do my hair for school. It was just like the way she did things. Oof. And I so just didn't, you know, didn't want to be done all the time. And I had to because then I was working. So I had to always get dressed and I had to avoid. I was like, Leanne can't go play because she has to go work and she has to be pretty and present herself to the world in a certain way. And I got my hair wet and I let myself swim and everything still worked out and I still looked fine. But it was in those moments I recognized I was mothering myself in the way that I needed to be mothered as a kid or desired to be mothered as a kid. And it's so simple, but I was asking people reading, like, how are you, how are you getting your hair wet? Like, what are you not allowing yourself to do that your inner child is like so desperately longing for? And Mm. those are where I feel like those embodiment pieces really start to, to play into how we're rewiring our brains and how we're mothering ourselves and how we're changing our lives and allowing for freedom. You know, it's, Moments like that, they're such huge wins. They really are. I love that example. I would like to know, can the men men out there listening to this, this is not just a female piece, right? Like men are, there's also a mother wound there. How does that look for men? How does that manifest itself? Yeah, absolutely. Men definitely have a mother wound and um, it manifests a little different for men. And it's usually, the reason why it manifests differently is really because of these 
toxic kind of gender expectations that we have, right? right. So um, there's a lot of different ways it can show up for men, but you know, and either parent, I just want to say like either parent can be the patriarchal parent, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about patriarchy. It's more like whoever said or communicated to you, don't feel, don't be too much or, you know, don't mm-hmm. be weak. Like I remember like in my situation with my dad and my brother witnessing that dynamic, my dad was very harsh with my brother and he would say things like, don't be a sissy or if he would get hurt, he'd be like, take the pain, don't cry. Mm-hmm. You just take mm-hmm. the pain. You're supposed to sit there as a boy and just not emit a tear. It's awful. But my mother never really stepped in. And so I think he developed a kind of misogyny. Mm. And it comes from a legit anger about him not being protected. And so there was this kind of like lack of nurturing and lack of affirmation that he needed that he didn't get. And so that can be one of the ways that a mother gap can show up for men. For other ways, it could be some mothers are really smothering with their sons. right? And it can be like, they feel deprived of something in the culture and their their past, and the son is supposed to be the one that makes it all better, right? Almost like an emotional incest surrogate mm-hmm. spouse kind of yep. thing. Absolutely. And so there's a betrayal there of the child, you know, the boy child getting all this pressure on him to make his mother's life worth living, you know, to mm-hmm. make her feel important, to validate her role as mother. Got it. So yeah, it really comes down to a lot of these expectations. And Men have it just as severely as women do, just like I said, in different ways. So for men, I think it can be about discovering the ways in which you had to suppress your own female side, your own emotions. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's really harsh on men, you know, don't feel anger is the only permitted emotion, you know, or sex is the only permitted like sensual thing. So our families are the places where these patriarchal values get installed, right? And so I would ask men to think about that. Like, how are these patriarchal values taught to you? Where were you taught not to feel, not to be yourself? Because I think what's happening right now is all of us are realizing the status quo doesn't work. These messages we got are toxic. Mm -hmm. And so we're feeling, we're developing almost like growing pains, trying to develop our resilience to be outside of these lines that we were taught as the way that we're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, So I have a lot of respect for men who are doing this work. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Leading women (laughs) to this work has got to be an incredible challenge, but leading men to this work has got to be incredibly challenging. And some of the most important work I think men can do. Yeah, for sure. Not only to be able to support themselves and and heal their own wounds, but also to support the women in their lives in in a new way. I think for both of us, relationship is so important when it comes to doing this work because you really... In relationship, everything gets dug up, right? <laughs> oh, for sure. It's amazing. It's like, yeah, I have been thinking about that a lot lately. It's like the ideal situation is if both partners come to the table with some awareness of what they missed and the ways in which they can project those needs out. And then the couple can work together like by each taking responsibility for their inner child Mm -hmm. rather than handing the child to the other one, like make me feel important, worthy, and special, you know, because that's never going to work, right? Right, right. No matter how much we try, just like with our mothers, Mm -hmm. that feeling of worthiness can only come, be cultivated inside that person. No other person can can do that for us. But we have an expectation Mm -hmm. from childhood that it could, because back then that was true. We did need an external person to help us feel valid. That was legit developmental stuff from early childhood. But now 
it's like the child in us still thinks that's the case. And so the inner mothering work, like you were saying, we can start to help the child see that she actually now has an adult woman or parent or adult man who's there to be with her and help her fill her needs. So that we don't have to look outside compulsively to others. Absolutely. It's such a beautiful process, like relationships that can do the work where both of people are like, aware, have the capacity. Yeah. Yeah. That awareness is key. It really is. And I think it's challenging because almost like one part of your relationship, it has to die in ways, in a lot of ways, Mm. like the way that you've been getting your needs met from one another has to dissolve and a new form of the relationship has to take birth. I was just talking to a friend of mine last night about this, and I think a lot of people get lost in this gap. A lot of times the relationships just dissolve. Yeah. There's not a real framework around how to both come to this place and then grow together in a new form and not be two children trying to get your needs met from each other, but two adults that are actually feeding themselves that are now meeting together in this incredible relationship that are both sovereign and choosing to be there. Um, not from a a wounded perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said. Thanks. 100%. Yeah. There's something that I found really interesting. We hear a lot about the mother wound. We hear a lot about abandonment, which we talk Mm -hmm. about often. But we don't hear enough about the exploitation of a child. I was wondering if you could touch on what exploitation, what you mean by that and what that looks like. What I mean by that is, is any way that a child can feel used mm-hmm. by a parent. And a lot of times this can happen because the parents themselves were objectified in some way. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that even religions honor thy father and mother. So if you think about it, children are the most vulnerable humans. They don't have many rights. Right. Down there with animals, you know, they don't have many rights. They don't have a voice. They're completely dependent on their caregivers. Mm-hmm. However wounded our parents, those parents are that come to the table with the child. If it's been severe trauma that those parents have experienced, they're more likely to severely traumatize their kids. And one of the ways that can happen is, you know, feeling used. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, like when I first started doing my healing work, you know, like really committing to it, I question myself all the time because I'm like, I didn't get bruises and I wasn't sexually molested or anything. So I was always like, why am I, why do I have such strong symptoms? Like why I haven't been beaten, but it it became clear to me that the emotional and the research tells us this, the emotional trauma is just as impactful on our brains as, you know, the physical harm. Right. So I think society is changing a bit to see that. And when I talk about used, used can mean many different things. There's a term parentification that I use a lot in my work because I was a parentified daughter. And that, what that basically means is the child is asked from a super young age to be an adult and to care for the parents. So those roles are reversed. So that's an exploitation. In a lot of cultures and places, that's normal parenting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked to some students around the world who say, yeah, in my family, you are supposed to take care of the parent. And then when you're an old person, then your kids are supposed to take care of you. Yes. And in not just like very minor ways, but like a major, like they kind of become little children. They became like infants. You have to do everything for me. So that's, it can really run the gamut, the exploitation, right? And I think the whole awareness around trauma right now is expanding. People are becoming more aware of what trauma is. And so I find this extremely exciting because I think, we can start to look at 
child development and parenting in new ways where we need to be willing to be horrified a bit to do better. Right. And it doesn't take much to unconsciously harm a child. So what that requires is that we do the work to become more conscious because what we're conscious of, we can change, right? Yeah. And I think that there's, like you're saying, trauma is now being expanded upon where it used to be, you know, big T traumas. We're also now, you know, understanding all of the the little T traumas, the small things that that we may not have thought of as trauma, but it does affect us in the same way. And same thing with abandonment. It's not just about leaving a child. There's a, there's many ways in which chi- children can be abandoned emotionally, yeah. you know, and also like you're saying with the, the exploitation. I, I encourage people to go really start to expand their mm-hmm. definition of these words because they're, they're not just the big things that we've been taught in the past. I know so many people, and my husband is one of them, that's like, nothing happened to me. Like, I'm fine. I'm like, yeah, no, that definitely, it does in in small ways. Yeah. And a lot of times we we don't know what to compare it to, you know, like we we just are in our childhood homes. We assume that everybody else is the same exact childhood as us. And then we become adults. And if we're resilient and if we have support, we'll be able to say, reach a point where we're like, oh my God, that wasn't normal. I need support. And then we can start to come to terms with the magnitude of actually what we what happened to us. That's another place where grief comes in, is to get support with that grief process. Absolutely. And we absolutely will be right back after we take a quick breather. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season... We are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, beautiful souls. I am chatting with the wonderfully wise Bethany Webster about grief and the mother wound. We've talked about being emotional caretakers in the family, and I think that's just across the board. As women, we're kind of expected to be the emotional caretakers of in any relationship. And, you know, so what was the most supportive thing for you when looking at the ways that you emotionally caretake how you say that (laughs) was was Mm -hmm. the emotional caretaker in relationships where because I know for me I'm at a point where I'm starting to see I mean not that I didn't know that but I'm starting to to really understand and all the ways in which I try to I'm hyper vigilant and and wanting to make sure that everybody is okay because then I feel safe and I feel comfortable and I don't have to deal with all the emotions that come up you know so for sure where do we begin to reframe that for ourselves as women such a great question I I think a couple of things um one I would say anger has helped Mm. and I'll get into that and then the other piece before I lose it (laughs) is about looking at manipulation. Mm -hmm. So anger first, like I think getting in touch with how angry I was, that I was basically not allowed to exist on my own, you know, with boundaries and a skin and a voice and needs that. So kind of like- Oh, you just hit a yeah, like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And exhaustion as well. Like, I'm fucking tired of doing mm-hmm. that. Yes. You know, so seeing, getting in touch with my real emotions about what it feels like to be an emotional caretaker and how that was kind of an exploitation of me as a child. Like, I didn't really get to be a child. I, I actually never identified as a child. I re- realized me this either. a few years ago. I was like, I've always <laughs> felt like an adult. And, and so getting in touch with the betrayal at the heart mm. of that. So I think mm. that really set a fire in me to mm. kind of fight this impulse a bit and like kind of fight to be a, and I use fight in like a mild sense, just hold my ground. Yeah, I get to have different needs. I get to be at a different pace than other people. I'm not everyone's emotional slave, you know, and that's kind of how I felt like my mother's emotional prostitute. There was a dirtiness. Mm, wow. I felt like dirty and used. I wasn't a person to her. I was an appendage. Mm-hmm. So this getting in touch with the rage around not being able to be human, not being able to be separate, helped me a lot to try to get to that place where now, and this is a lot of what I teach women is how to feel the legitimacy of your sovereignty. Like you get to have a separate reality 
and help that little girl inside of you that might feel like, oh, I'm going to be left for dead if I actually say no or, you know. Right. So it's kind of like helping that child in you feel safe with sovereignty. That's how we begin to trust our our relationship with ourselves. I think we've learned Mm. to, because we have been taught like we can't have our own sovereign selves and experience, we always question our own experience. And so mm-hmm. getting and learning to trust that whatever is coming up for us is valid is such a huge yeah. piece yeah. because when you're emotionally caretaking all the time, it's like, oh, I must be crazy. There must be something wrong with me. Why am I making that person feel that way? It's that piece for me is my anger, I mean, now I'm just starting to really get in touch with healthy anger and allowing that to promote a separate self. And it's intense. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah. I'm psyched for you, actually, because this is a powerful place to be in the journey because it's like (laughs) our anger is a part of our power. When we're ready to own it, you can start to feel this life life force. force. (laughs) Yeah. Just like, oh yeah, I feel the life force. It's so powerful. And I like to teach women too that you are the authority. You're the authority on what's right and best for you. No one else. And so many of us, like you said, have had to kind of disable that signal inside that says, I'm, t- I'm done. Like, I want to do something else now. Or just whatever our needs are, mm-hmm. as little girls, we had to muffle that signal in order to always be at the whim of other people. Mm-hmm. So I think as women, we have to learn how to recover and listen to what are my limits? What do I really need? And to hold space for that, for a long time, um, I had to learn to say, I don't know, I'll get back to you. <laughs> I would always immediately say yes to people, right. oh, you know, that's a immediately, great immediately. And then I had wow. to question that and literally slow down because there's a part of me that felt like death to not say yes. Yes, I understand that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. And I love that. I, I don't know, I'll get back to you. I love, okay, everybody, please remember that. <laughs> I think that's such a huge piece. It's like, if we don't feel comfortable with saying no just yet, right? I don't know, I'll get back to you is a great, it is a great way to segue into no. (laughs) Uh, Totally. I I think, you know, that manipulation piece, I think that leads so well into the manipulation piece because instead of manipulating and saying yes, when we mean no, just to keep the peace or whatever it may be, we're no longer abandoning ourselves in that. That's basically what we're doing when we say yes and mean no, we're abandoning ourselves, And so- when we say, I don't know, I'll get back to you, I find that a beautiful middle ground and a way to grow into saying no with with love and being able to connect back to our own self and not just jump immediately into abandonment, which is basically when we say yes to things we mean <laughs> no, you know, want to say no to. That's That's all we're doing is abandoning self. Totally, totally. And in that moment, we might not even know what we want. Do I want to do that? It took a long time for me to admit to myself, I don't want to hang out with that person or I don't want to do that thing. And it's so, it was so empowering for me to start to actually say, yeah, give yourself that middle ground of, I don't know, let me get back to you. And then that gives you also time to kind of form an empowered no. Right. Yeah. And practice that. When in your own time, at your own pace. Yeah, because that, that anger piece then can come in for me. I've noticed that I can just jump like right to anger and like let that drive my Ooh, no yeah. sometimes. And it's like, wait, the empowered no is the anger can inform that, but it doesn't have to be the way in which we express it. And sometimes the little one in me just gets starts to get angry and wants to just jump to 
the, the expression of it comes out as as anger. And I know that there's a better way that I would like to express that. Know that feels more empowered. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. That is so true. I mean, I've. It's very natural as we get in touch with those true feelings for the inner child to. We kind of blend with her. We might mm-hmm. all of a sudden blend with our inner child and see the world or other people through that, the lens of her wounds, which is I'm trapped. Mm-hmm. I have to say no quick. Right. Cause I might get hurt. So it's powering to slow that down. And so that, that no is like a calm choice. It's like a calm, respectful choice. Mm-hmm. Some of the things I invite people to think about to see if you're blended with your inner child urgency and like a reaction, like a reactivity or desperation, those are signs that we are blended with the inner child. And so it can be good to take a step back and like say, little Bethany, I see that you're super angry right now. Tell me all about it. Or let's, you know, have a conversation or like a connection with her. Mm -hmm. And then when you feel calmer, then you can approach it as your adult, right? Right. And this is just kind of a learning curve of like working with our inner (laughs) kids and then eventually being able to have interactions always as our adult so that we don't get overtaken by the inner child, which can create all kinds of problems. It definitely can. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think where a lot of us are living lives that our inner children are running, our inner wounded children. Right. And where, you know, my example the other day of letting myself get my hair wet, I love when my inner child can actually play and run the show from the place of feeling safe. That's when life can become fun. It's the innocence in that. When we're looking at the world through our wounded child, which most of us are, and Mm -hmm. I've for many, many years have done it. Now I can recognize when I'm there and when I'm the awareness around the piece of when I'm there and when I'm an adult and what's going on. But thank God for the awareness of that because now I've learned how to, and like you're saying, this is a learning curve, learning, learn how to step away and be like, I can't have this conversation right now or I need to I need to take a break because where I'm coming from is not the place I want to come from. That's powerful. Yeah, it's such an empowering thing to be able to have the resilience to do that. And exactly. It's, that. It's, it, you say resilience because it, it is exhausting. <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> it is. It oh. is. Uh. So I was just going to mention one other thing because you yes. asked me such a great question about how to move out of emotional caretaking. And the yeah. other, the second part was going to be about integrity. Like I noticed I was manipulating people because I wasn't being really honest. So I was also motivated by how can I be really true? And I think so many of us are feeling this desire. Like we want to be true. We want to be, have authentic relationships. We want to be authentic people. We want to embody what's true and important to us. And starting to see that emotional caretaking was a manipulation of other people. With my ex-partner, I remember I had this total moment of recognition where she would ask me something and I would be like, yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I dissected it a little bit more later and I was like, oh, it was kind of, it was a total mimic of what I had with my mother where it was like, feed her before she feeds on me. Oh, yes. I totally understand. (laughs) Oh my God. It was like, because that's what I had to do with my mother. And my mother was basically an, a, a ravenous inner child. She was a ravenous little girl, wounded little girl in an adult body. So she could be a bully. She could be a tyrant. So it was, I had to navigate that as a little girl. Like I need this person mm-hmm. for survival, but she is harmful. Mm-hmm. 
So I think we also, when we look at manipulation as women, we need to have compassion for ourselves because that manipulation was a real legit survival strategy. And it was empowering when I realized it, like I was feeding her quickly so that her needs wouldn't become so big Mm -hmm. that she would feed on me. That's so well said. Painful. It's very painful. But I, you know, I, like I said, I'm just kind of coming to that place of understanding how I manipulate and, and because of that reason. And there's this cringe. There's like, ooh, (laughs) I don't like that part (laughs) because it, because I'm thinking, you know, it's, of course, as an adult woman, I don't want to manipulate my really in my relationships. But the piece of me that's manipulating is, is this child that is exactly what you're explaining. And there, after the ooh comes the, oh, you know, like you're saying, I think there's such, it's so important Mm. that we do slow down and give compassion to these pieces of ourselves. And be the witness of it without judgment because if we just, if we keep judging this part, we're never going to be able to look at it either, like with clear eyes and with an open heart and shift something if we're constantly judging this piece of ourselves that just is icky. It feels icky. (laughs) Yeah. One of the most liberating insights for me lately, especially around shame, is realizing that there's nothing actually shameful Right. We're all just trying to survive. We're all innocently trying to survive inside of the condition patterns that we developed as kids. That's what's happening. And all of these strategies, as icky as they are, came from pain. Right. Yeah. And so it's so liberating to start to look at myself without the shame lens. Oh, this is what you needed to do. You were so scared. You mm-hmm. had no other option but to manipulate her, you know, give her what she wanted so that you could be safe. And you did the right thing at that time, you know? So I think it's as adults, we have to, the real responsibility is about integrity and not trying to be as conscious as possible so that we don't replicate. Absolutely. Yeah. That's all we can do, really. Yeah. Yeah, It's very (laughs) true. I know you went for a long, long time without talking to your mom. Have you had any contact with her? No, I haven't. It's been actually, let's see, 2011, it's 10 years Oh, wow. Um, she, she did show up occasionally, you know, as a troll on my website and occasionally <sighs> trolling with these her, like horrendous statements all in caps. So, but she uh, stopped doing that. So yeah, I haven't heard from her in years, some nasty letters, but. Wow. I'm so yeah. sorry. I, um. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Thank you. But I'm, I feel really liberated now. Oh, I'm, I, I can tell. I absolutely. And I understand, but it's, it's still you, when you hear that, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry you had to go through that at some point. I want to talk about an estrangement because I, I feel like, you know, we're talking about, we're, first off, this whole conversation can be very shame inducing for a lot of people. And then to be estranged from family. I know we live in this culture where it's like, they're your family. You're supposed to just deal with it, you know, and love them for who they are. Yeah. And yes, there's a piece of, I can love you for, for who you are and accept your limitations, but that also might not mean that I can be around you. And, and that's such a, Talk about shame inducing in a in a society where it's like love the love object, love the mother. How do we begin to well, I guess it's kind of like having these conversations that we begin to normalize it. But for anybody out there who is estranged from their mother or thinking of even setting that boundary of I can't have that connection with you. And we will unpack that loaded question right after we pause for a quick break. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. 
I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what. God, if you show me, God, if you tell me, God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone. I have just asked Bethany Webster about the best way to set boundaries while navigating the mother wound. Yeah, great question. I think I would just say your feelings are valid. The part of you that says, I can't do this anymore, is a part of your truth. For many of us going estranged, I don't even like that word really, but yeah, yeah, Yeah. I know it's kind of a weird word, but yeah, to, to go no contact is can be one of the hardest things that we have to go through as as humans, I think, because everything in our biology, our physiology is to connect, right? So things have to be quite bad. And I have such a respect for people who are contemplating this because 
I almost see it like part of our evolution. Like we have to learn how to do this. Our parents are not entitled to relationships with us. They have to earn that. And this is a new concept for many people that parents are entitled to relationships with their kids, their adult children. They are not. You don't owe anyone. (laughs) You don't owe your parents anything. I'm a strong believer in that. I'm, you do not. I'm crying because of this because it's well. It's just I think there's a relief in in just hearing someone else say they're not entitled to you, and that is a new way of living and of being in this world for so many of us. It's a yes. cultural shift that is really deep. And like you're saying, bi- biologically, I just talked to my therapist about this the other day. It's like I wish I could cut out this piece of me of biology that's like I I need a mom. Because yeah. I'm like, you know, there's for so long, I've understood, you know, my mom's limitations. And I feel like I've let go of the the dream of having it differently. Yeah. But there's still, biologically, there's still something that's like, I need a mother. And I think that just hearing you say that, I mean, it brought me to tears because I, I think it's relief for anyone who's challenged with these relationships in their lives um, to the extent that you know you and I have been um, there's just relief in that so thank you for thank you for saying that and giving people permission because yeah. ultimately it's up to us to give ourselves permission for this but I think there's so so much support in hearing it from you yeah absolutely thank you for asking the question because I think we have to get here as a culture because otherwise what we're doing is saying that people get to abuse me Right. And that can't be true anymore, whether it's blood or friends or primary relationships, parents, nobody is entitled to your time and energy. And we have to feel worthy of that. I feel like people who go no contact are important in the culture because we carry a torch mm-hmm. for a higher standard for human relationships and mm-hmm. that it's possible to have chosen family right? Who, who do nurture us and support us. It's like kind of creating a new model for family Mm -hmm. um, where we're not stuck with people who abuse us and we have to accept that as normal anymore. I don't think we can. I agree. Um, And then so, yeah. Yeah. So I honor all the, we're warriors. Those of us who have had to go, this is a warrior path. It's a very spiritual path, I think, because Mm -hmm. in the process you actually can develop a profound sense of self-worth and a solidity in yourself that few people have the opportunity to develop. Yes, I completely agree with you. And it's not for the faint of heart, absolutely at (laughs) all. But I wanted to talk about, because I know we've been talking about a lot of heavy stuff, I wanted to talk about what's on the other side of this work. Mm, Because mm -hmm. when when you begin to peel back these layers and, you know, healing we talk about is kind of, it's a spiral and there's layers to it. And I, I feel like this is a, lifelong process in a lot of ways, especially Mm -hmm. since we are the first kind of generation that's peeling back the layers of the the onion of healing. You said something in your book, which I wanted to touch upon um, because it's so beautiful. And I had the same experience when it comes Mm. to innocence. I actually wrote a song on my new album called Innocent. You were talking about on the other side of this, what you got to, where you came to with your truest essence, with your innocence and recognizing it's not gone. Like we haven't lost something. And I think that's one of the biggest lies that we're told that we're made to believe, whether it be from abuse or whatever, you know, however we feel like we've lost our innocence. For me, it was, you know, starting so young and not having a childhood and all of those things. 
But all of a sudden, when I heard you talk about this in this book, I was like, oh my God, she's had the same experience <laughs> as Ooh. I have of like recognizing that that innocence and the pure essence of who we are that's untouched by trauma is still there and we can access it. And I think this work mm. is the direct line to being able to access that piece of us. I would I would just love for people to hear your experience of what that innocence and being, you know, touching upon that piece of you is like. Yeah. Thank you for this, like kind of bringing us here to this kind of place in the conversation because I feel like this is where this work goes to a really profound kind of spiritual place where it is truly like the tectonic plates of life shift from the shame-based identity, which most of us have, to we can live in a more of a place where it's like feeling, yeah, your life force come back to you, right? Mm -hmm. So like in my experience, one of the most profound realizations was that my mother had this thing with me that was just like, I know who you are and you're bad. Mm -hmm. It was really her own shame that she was projecting onto me because she felt out of control. And then realizing that none of that, none of what happened to me actually had a lick to do with me. <laughs> none of it. And I, I think I knew that conceptually, you know, through doing the work, but then there was this place where it was just, everything opened up and it was just like, on a visceral level, I could feel it. I could feel the reality of my goodness mm. that is indestructible. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of vitality and energy, like almost a playfulness. It's yes. like recapturing, you know, underneath the gunk and kind of the accumulated crap and illusions that we have to take on to survive. We start to feel like, oh my gosh, that wasn't me at all. And I know who I am. I'm the expert on me and I can feel my goodness and that that has a right, to, I have a right to exist. Mm -hmm. I don't have to prove it. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to strive for it. I just am. You have a right to exist within that emotional experience of goodness and joy and like playfulness. And I think that's one yes. of the <laughs> biggest pieces for me is, you know, and, and I oscillate kind of back and forth between trauma and pain and then joy mm -hmm. and play. And it takes a long time, or it has for me, at least I'm still learning how to exist within that playfulness and that joyous space, because that wasn't, that wasn't safe as a child, like joy, yeah. joy wasn't safe for me. And so mm -hmm. it takes a while once we start to touch upon that, at least for me, it has to allow myself to wake up every day and go, oh, I can exist in a different space. Even though my trauma is still here, I don't have to exist there today. <laughs> yes, know? I love that. Totally. And thanks for emphasizing. It's like rebirthing ourselves. It, it is like a birth. Mm -hmm. Like it does. We, we just stretch. And the more joy and resilience we have, then we can handle a little bit more pain that might come up. Right. So. Right. <laughs> it's this interesting progression where it's yes. not like everything gets super easy, but we might actually have more pain to come up as we get more resilient to handle it. Mm -hmm. But then there's a time where we, st I'm going through a little bit of this right now myself, where I just recently moved and I'm, there's so much beauty. It's coinciding with all these different things, but my inner child is like, I can, a, a teen part, mm. not my youngest part, but a teen mm -hmm. part who has to protect me as a child with combat. She wore combat boots, you know, surfer, skateboarder girl. She's like, I can just exist and see all this beauty and like the sun comes up and then it goes down and it happens every day. And I can just enjoy it. It's interesting. Sometimes I kind of feel high, almost like yes. my senses are, are actually 
becoming more acute, mm-hmm. the more that I heal, the more I can see the wonder and the awe of just ordinary existence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I totally understand everything that you're saying right now. Uh, and I love that you just brought that up. Thank you for that. Was just a personal thing. Thank you for saying this teen part of me, because I think that's kind of where I'm at right now is like mm. is connecting with this, the teenage self that had a lot of coping mechanisms, you know, and had to in a, a very public way. Yeah. Thank you. Just on a personal note for, for validating that because it's, it's where I'm currently hanging out. I think I've, I've awesome. a, lot of, a lot of my younger <laughs> self I've I've been able to uh, get in touch with. But it's interesting in the teenagers because all of a sudden the rebellion, just to touch upon this, you just mentioned this, this kind of like harder piece of you that was protecting you. But the, the rebellion can be exhausting in itself. And, you know, then learning like what what rebellion I want to keep, when that can serve me and when it's, you know, not served me in the past and when that's been a when that's been a protective mechanism. And it's just such an interesting ride. That's that piece. Totally. It sounds like as for you, my teen was definitely the most hypervigilant part. So she would be like a scanner soldier, like, you know, when everything's fine, it actually felt scarier because it means something bad is going to happen at any moment. Yeah. It's interesting that lives in our cells, right? That's just part of our brains and nervous system that is wired to look for that. It's been a lot just through loving, re- reaffirming to her every day and multiple times a day that you don't have to worry about anything. I've got mm-hmm. you. I'm your mm-hmm. big B and I'm looking right. out for you <laughs> and I've got so much support and you can just enjoy living and the beauty. And so it's taken months and months and months since this part has arrived. And she's so awesome. Like there's so much love and beauty inside of her that's not hard. Like the hard part was just like this shell, but underneath is this like flower that's blossoming. And um, I love that. I love that for you. I love that for us. Cause I think that's <laughs> yeah. one last question before I sure. head, head over to the music side of things. What do you envision when you see a world where we've all done this work? <laughs> what do you see is, you know, the, um, what do you see the world looking like? What do you envision for for us as a culture, as spiritual beings, as this planet? How do you see this rippling out? I see that as more of us do this work, and I'm sure it's going to take many, many generations, but I think we can have a culture based on connection. Mm-hmm. The more I do this work, the more I realize that attachment is really about love. Mm-hmm. It's about coming into the world, feeling safe, feeling loved, feeling that we can trust life, trust our bodies. So as more of us do this work, we pass down less harm. We mm-hmm. model, we feel comfortable being connected. There's less of a push or a fight or less defensive. So I think we can ultimately build a culture around attachment. I get excited by thinking about what would society look like if we based everything on a secure mother-child relationship mm-hmm. so that each child gets everything he or she needs. That would be amazing. It would mean like clean water, universal right. basic income, healthcare, everything. And I think more creativity. I think I see like a renaissance. Like we yeah. look at the renaissance of the <laughs> 1600s in you know, Florence, Italy, and Europe. I think that's just like a speck of what could happen with our creativity. Mm, yes. Because to be creative, you look at human development. To be creative, a child needs to feel safe, safe. and actually feel a little boredom. In order to actually start to, you know, in, really engage the imagination and stuff. We need time to daydream. We, ne- we need time to play. I don't come up with ideas at my desk. I come up with ideas on walks and travels right. and staring at clouds, you know. Um, so I think 
it would just be this amazing outburst of creativity and fun and human connection, like a whole renaissance. I love that. Oh, you think about, you know, when children were kind of basically raised within community, like years and years and years True. ago. And exactly. I've been, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Here we are and the mother is supposed to be, you know, five million things at, while, know, while right? trying to raise a child. And here, we, you know, the first six, seven years of a child's life is so important. And we have women who are just completely absent because they're trying to create a career and all these different things. And it's right. You know, or work three jobs. Exactly. Or, take yeah. Everything, everything, trying to be a, a wife, you know, a friend and work in the community, whatever it may be. There's just so many things pulling us away from this real connection that we need to give to children. And I think the community piece is so important. I think of, you know, you're saying that we could be connected and in community. And I think that I, I see when you say that, us almost going back to this way that where we have more people that are able to help us raise children in the right way totally. through that connection. So, yeah, it's not amazing to think about. Yes, <laughs> Great <it> question. Really <laughs> I could literally, I could talk to you for days. I, swear. I feel the same. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I, I always ask uh, my guest their holy five, as I call it, their top five songs. This could be like over your lifetime or like what you're listening to now, but um, I would love to hear what your five are. Thank you for this question, by the way. I've been working on it very diligently. Oh, I love it. Um, and come up with many revisions. But as of last night, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so I would say I was thinking I'll start quickly. Dirt is a song by the Stooges, this 1970s album called Fun House. It was my first introduction to punk music. Oh, wow. When I was awesome. a teenager. So nice. oh, perfect to talk about the teen. So representing um, her. <laughs> representing her, number one. Yep. And then I would say uh, Bonita Apple Bum by Tribe Called Quest. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then let's see. Back to Life by Soul to Soul. Back to, to life. Oh, yeah. Back, back to, to yes. reality. That's a good one. Um, and then another one I love is In God's Country by U2. Do I It's from the Joshua Tree album. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I love, I love that too. song. Oh, my God. It's I, so yeah. good. So good. Um, and then another one is um, there's this song called Roads by Portishead. It's an okay. album called Dummy that came out in like 1992 or 1993 or something. And every uh -huh. time I hear it, I was in Budapest once and the whole entire album came on and I was just like, oh my God, this album is so good. Um, Roads. I'm going to go check that out when we're done. Roads. It's a slow kind of like electronic, dark, beautiful song. Okay. Did I do five yet? That was five. That was good. Yes. Awesome. You made it. I Yay. know it's so funny. People, everybody that comes on here, it's like, this is the hardest question anyone ever answered. <laughs> uh, well, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been thank so fun you. to chat with you, Leanne. I appreciate you and the work that you're doing and what you're bringing to the world. It's really remarkable and magnificent and it's really fun to be part of it. So thanks for inviting uh, me. Thank you. Same, same. And I look forward to continuing this conversation with you. I think, yes, it's really important. So Would thank love you that. Take care. Yes. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Whew. 
And that wraps up this episode of Holy Human. Thank you all so much for spending this time with me. I think this episode was so, so, so important. Take care of yourselves if this brought up anything for you because it is a very tender topic. I know it can bring up a lot of different emotions for each and every one of us. So just treat yourself with care and compassion. And I so appreciate you being here and would love to hear your feedback, especially on this episode. So please feel free to reach out in the comments wherever you're listening. Please be kind. We're all navigating this life in our own way. And I know for myself, I definitely shared a lot of personal deep information on this episode. So let's treat each other with kindness and compassion. And if you think this episode might help someone you know, please pass it along while I go check my phone for my mom's text just about now. (laughs) I love you all. Bye. On the next episode of Holy Human, I'll be welcoming my dear friend, Kate Horseman, an integrative healer with a unique holistic approach to utilizing nutrition, breath work, and energy work to navigate trauma and attain more inner peace. I hope you will join us. I'll see you then. Holy Human with me, Leanne Rhymes, is a production of iHeartRadio. You'll find Holy Human with Leanne Rhymes on the iHeart app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get the podcasts that matter most to you. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.